0: Tonight, we're talking about something that I think is probably the toughest topic we've talked about. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I don't know why the sixth one in the series is always the toughest topic. Uh, Last year, the sixth one was porn, uh, which is our least listened to podcast, Uh, (laughs) which is not surprising because last time I told everybody we were going to talk about porn, literally half the crowd showed up. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm sure you're sick. Uh, But tonight, we're talking about daddy issues, as you can see right there. And it's going to be an interesting conversation. I'll say the thing about... Dads is, if, even if you had a good one, they have incredible ways of creating issues in your life. I'll, I'll explain that real quick. Um, so I was in middle school, and I was, I was not good looking. Um, so <laughs> I had bad clothes, bad hair. Uh, I just came out of a Christian school, so I didn't understand lingo. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? You should pray. And they're like, shut up. And like, yeah. And, and so I'm coming out of that. And so I'm having a hard time. Like people are just making fun of me just for fun of it. Uh, because that's what middle school is. Middle school was the awful, most awful time of my life. If you like middle school, that's cool. You were cool. You were probably a jerk. That's fine. You can repent from that later on. And that, that's good. You're like, I was the cheerleader. Cool. Good for you. Good for you. I'm glad you could do that. But I was not. Most of us were not. Middle school was a tough time. And I remember my dad, Really, like, believed that I should date. I don't know why. He he really thought that it needed to happen quickly. He needed to make sure that um, I was worthy of another woman's uh, another woman's a woman's love. Um, and so I remember one time there was this girl that was very cute at the time. Her name was uh, oh my gosh, I just forgot her name. Um, her her name was Lauren Lucena. I remember that. Okay, uh, her name was Lauren Lucena, and uh, I remember. Every, I thought she was cute, all that kind of stuff, but I definitely wouldn't talk to her because the moment I got in, like within ten feet of a cute girl, like I looked down on the ground and just like, it didn't work. And if I got closer than that, I may pee on myself. Like it was just not. Not going to be something that worked, but my dad's like, oh, I'm going to force this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make sure, because this is a good idea, that my son gets a date in middle school. And so I remember my dad grabbed me, and he had this way, like, my dad's about 6'5", almost 6'6", big, huge guy, and he would grab me, and and some of you guys had a dad like this. He would, like, put my shoulders back, like, make me stand up straight, and then smack me on the chest just because he could. And I remember one time he did this, and he's like, hey, Lauren, come over here. And I'm just standing, and I'm like, oh, no. Uh, Like, I, I was freaked out. He's like, hey. I think you should date my son. Look at him. I mean, he's standing up straight. He's got a job, blah, blah. And this girl, I, this was the, I think this was the worst possible scenario. If she just would have said no, it would have been fine. She literally breaks down crying, just starts crying like because she felt so bad that she was rejecting me. And so, like, she just breaks down crying and runs off. And that was a weird moment. Like, the first time... I didn't tell a girl how I felt, my dad did, but to have that reciprocated, right? It's like, okay, this is what girls do. They cry and they run away from you. (laughs) I say that as a way just to bring a little bit of laughter because I'll be honest with you guys, this message is not going to be very funny. Um, We're going to be talking about some serious things because here's the idea. I get asked all the time, why do we do this series? I want to remove as many things between you and God. And I believe this, in your, your age range, where you are in life right now, one of the biggest things that keeps you from God many times is the way we do relationships. That's why many times when somebody gets a relationship, we stop seeing them. And then they come back and we're like, okay, what do we need to do? We need to help. We need to heal. All these things. And so I want to make sure that you guys hear what I'm saying. And we're talking about probably one of the hardest topics today in the idea of your past and your pain. This is never an easy thing to talk about. This is not something we like to talk about, but I'm going to start off with, a, with an idea that's very specific because I think a lot of this idea, if it didn't lead to your pain, it causes you to stay away from healing from your pain. I want to talk about your dad. I want to talk about your father. Um, Even if he wasn't there, that's a big influence. Even if he was there, what he said, what he did affects the way that we live our lives. And and when you look at culture today, I think many times you look and you can see that fathers can be either blessings or curses. Uh, They either add burdens to your life or they remove them from you. They will heal you or help you heal or they will break you. They will... Make a world that helps you flourish or a world that causes you to fail. And what we see many times is in this time where we see men constantly giving up on relationships, constantly giving up on children, we see the effects of that. I mean, for the first time ever, I think a couple years ago, it was the first time ever, more kids were being born into fatherless homes than we're being born into a home with a father. And they expect this. They say the statistic is this nowadays, that more kids will live with their mom's boyfriend than will live with their actual dad. And so we're looking at all of these things, and you could actually make an argument that the epidemic of society, where we're at right now, the pain, the hurt, all of these things come from the fact that we have a fatherless problem. See, I get asked many times, I hear people say this, like, why are you so hard on guys? And especially right now, you're like, oh, great, How you've been hard on guys this whole series, and now you're hard on us again because of this idea that we're supposed to be fathers, and here's the reason why. It's because of what's expected of you and what hasn't happened. I, I remember my dad pulled me aside one time, and he goes, Hal, I'm going to be harder on you because you're expected to be the spiritual leader of your family. You're expected to be the one that sacrifices first, that absolutely decides to lay down your life for that. And he goes, I'm going to be harder on you for that. Not that your sister can't do incredible things, not that she's not an important part of the family, but you are going to be someone that's going to lead. And let me just say this, women, when you look at finding a husband, you're not just finding a husband. Please realize that. You are not just finding a husband, you are finding a father. And what we have to do is we have to be careful that we don't find the same father that we had that we don't want to repeat. Because we have, there's so many different types of dads. For some of you, I'm going to go through a couple. It's that that tragic dad. It's the dad that was there at first, but because of an illness, uh, he was basically out of your life. Or because he died, he was out of your life. And so while he was there for a moment, and he may have been great there for a moment, he was basically gone the rest of your life. You have the dad, which I think is so popular now, is the selfish dad. The ones that see their kids as an inconvenience. The ones that for some reason it's so easy to walk out of the house. It's so easy to leave behind the kids that you helped create that God's called you to lead. Or some of you had this. You had the incredibly tough dad, the drill sergeant. The, The one that was constantly expecting the world of you but there was no grace behind it. Was constantly telling you you have to be here, here, and here. And every time you messed up there was no grace. There was only toughness in expecting you to become more. Or for some of you, it was this, and this sounds weird at first, but you had the tender dad. The sweet and nice one, but the one that didn't defend the family. The one that was great and loving, but didn't step up in the moments that he needed to. This was the dad that, because, here's the idea, if you are tough on your family, you will break them. But if you decide not to be tough for your family, the world will break them. And so you had the dad that didn't stick up. It was the dad that allowed dangerous men around your sister or yourself. It was the dad that didn't speak up when he should have. And then you even have the good dad. And I say good dad, not perfect dad. The, God, the, the dad that did follow God and had the father heart of God. And because of that, you had a heart for him and he had a heart for you. But understand this, just because you had a good dad does not mean you don't have wounds from them. Because I know there are things that are said, there are instances that that happen that many times as kids we hold on to. I still have hold on to things that I didn't understand until I became a dad. Until I got those things. And here's what's crazy. Here's what I believe. I believe this. Your wounds from your father, your wounds in your life are not just wounds. It's a part of a spiritual warfare. See, I think God wants to do, uh, Satan wants to do this. He wants to use your unhealed hurts from your past to change your future and affect your family. And the enemy loves to go after our daddy issues. The enemy loves to go after what they call now our father wounds, He loves to go after these things because he knows if he goes after those, he can keep us away from a God that loves us. See, when we look at Ephesians, Paul actually talks about warfare. He talks about spiritual warfare. He talks about spiritual warfare in the chapters before and the chapters after. And right in the middle, he talks about family. Because I believe this, I think Satan, the best thing he wants to do is tear down the family. Because if he knows he can tear down your family, he can tear down everything around you. And here's what Satan does. He's not trying to just burst in the scene and burn everything down. He's just trying to get a foothold. He's just trying to get in the door. And many times we allow it through what's happened in our past. In Ephesians 4.27, it says, this says, and do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along from every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, he forgave you. He goes, don't give the devil a foothold. We know this. Like, if you had a brother or sister and they're trying to close the door, what did you do? If you just got a foot in, right, you knew you won. Because sooner or later, they're going to give up. They can't lock the door. It's going to be fine. It's the same idea with this. Here's, here's the foothold: bitterness. Here's what bitterness is: anything we've decided not to forgive. It's unforgiveness. See, this is a crazy thought and I don't want to come down on you, but when we choose unforgiveness, we are choosing Satan. We are choosing to go a way that's going to cause Satan to be in our lives, the enemy to be in our lives every day. That's the reason Jesus came. He forgave us. He came into our lives, changed our lives, changed our heart. Why? So that we could forgive others. Let me say this. Your family cannot happen if forgiveness is not a part of it. And it starts now, and it goes into your family. Here's what's crazy. When you look in the Bible, and every time you see unforgiveness, the idea of spiritual warfare is always right there. It's always right there. It's one of the main ways the devil finds a way in. Ephesians 6, 4 and 11 and 12, it says, it says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. What is it saying? Exasperate's a big word for basically, do not annoy your kids. Do not do things that make them dislike you. Do not do any things that comes between you and your kid. Why? Because he knows that it's a foothold there. It says, "Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes." For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's kind of a crazy thought. You're like, okay, I'm just not forgiving somebody. He's like, no, no, no. Our battle is against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realms. See, spiritual warfare happens through our bitterness in marriage, leaves you unhealed. So it doesn't just affect you, it affects your spouse, it affects your children. That's why dating and marrying God's way, uh, it's just so much more than finding someone to fall in love with. Let me just say this, and you guys heard me say this before, unresolved issues are like literally taking a ticking time bomb into your marriage just hoping it won't go off. Just hoping it won't happen. Hoping that it won't blow up and tear everything apart that you're trying to put together. And here's why I'm talking about dad so much because we tend to view God many times in the same way we view our dad. A lot of our thoughts, a lot of the things that we decide who God is, the character basics that you hear about God, we tend to reject them or accept them based on who our God, who our dad is and the way that he acted around us. We tend to look at the word father and have a hard time saying this. Let me just say this. And when you think of God, if you have a hard time saying the word father, you should investigate why. Why is it so hard for me to look at God and call him Father? What unresolved hurt is there? Because when you look at what Jesus said and what he, he decided we should do, he called God Father tons of times. In fact, 165 times in the Bible, disciples said, hey, how should we pray? What did he say? Our Father with art in heaven. He goes, you should call him Father. He actually used the word Abba, Father, which means dad. It doesn't mean daddy, which is good because that makes me feel uncomfortable. It's the it's the same word that an older child would use. It's that idea, it's that idea that's dad, it's father. But here's the deal, how do we change our view of God? We look at Jesus. See, here's what I think is interesting. When we look at the Trinity, you got, you know, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Many times we look at God and we're like he's the angry one. Jesus is the nice one, and the Holy Spirit's like the weird uncle we don't really talk about. <laughs> right? But how many of us, that's our idea? When we think of God, we're like, oh, he's the mean kind of, you know, he's the the one that takes care of things in heaven. Like, he's the one that makes sure, you know, everyone is punished for what happens. Jesus, he's, he's just nice. We love him. And the Holy Spirit, we're just unsure of and we're afraid to ask questions about him. But here's the deal. Here's what God is. He says in the Bible, it says, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Look at the way he loved people. Look at the way he cared for people. Look at the way he didn't throw what somebody did in their face. That is the same person that God is. In fact, we look in the Bible, here's what God isn't. God isn't some old man up in the sky, okay? God is this immaterial spiritual being. He is literally the mirror of Jesus. Like Jesus was sent to this earth to mirror God's character. So that's why it's so important if you want to start reading through the book of John and look at who Jesus is. Look at the way he loves and he cares for you and go, that's the same way God is. But most of us, we can't see God as father. In fact, many times we see him as something very different. We see him as like more of a master. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one saying who I am. And the problem is if we don't see him as father, this is paramount. And here's why. Luke 3.22. Gosh, if we can understand this next, this next idea. It says, and then the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. This is Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. This is when Jesus was being baptized. And a voice came from heaven. He said this, you are my son whom I love. With you, with you I am well pleased. I never thought of it. Like this literally was something that really stuck out lately. I never thought of it. It says what? He says Jesus is what? He, he's well, I'm well pleased. Like I am good, with you. Here's what's interesting. What had Jesus done to that point? He hadn't done a miracle. He hadn't brought anybody back from life. He hadn't given a a sermon. He hadn't done, all he had done was what? He had done his, his job. He was a carpenter. That's what he had done. And what did God say? He says, you, with you, I am well pleased. Please, please understand this. We work from God's approval, not for his approval. We work from God's approval, not for his approval. If you can understand that one idea, it would change your entire idea of who God is. Because so many times, what do we think we're doing? We've got to work for his approval. We've got to get him on our side. We've got to do things to make us love him. What did Jesus do? He worked not from God's approval, but he he worked from God's approval, not for his approval. God is already pleased with you. You don't need to earn it. Romans 8, 14 to 17 says it like this. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you fear that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, when it says sonship, this is, a, this is an idea that is not like just—it's it's not a— just sons. This is an idea that is both sons and daughters. I know that's not what we would use today, but back then they used the word sonship and meant both sons and daughters. It says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order to that we may also share in his glory. What is it saying? It says, we are children of God. What does that mean? It means this, we are in the same position that Jesus was. We are literally viewed by God in the same position that Jesus was. And what did God do? He adopted us. He brought us into his family. See, what Satan wants to do is he wants to change that. If you see in that verse, it says, hey, you're not a slave, You're not a slave. See, slavery back then was a little bit different in the context of what he was talking about. It was more of this idea of indentured servitude. Basically, if you went into debt with someone, they had the ability to bring you on as a slave. Then as soon as you paid off that debt, you would go back out and live a free life. See, what Satan wants us to believe is we're in some sort of indentured servitude. God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. This is an amazing thing. We have to make up for that. And until we do enough things, we don't have actual freedom. Here's what God is saying. He goes, you're, you're already there. I did that because I love you, not because I want you to pay it back. Here's the interesting part. If God sees us as children, why would he expect us to pay him back? I have children. You know what they contribute? Nothing. Nothing. And I wouldn't expect my five-year-old to contribute anything. I'm not gonna go up to him, hey, you need to start paying rent. And until you pay rent, we're gonna have an issue. No, why would I do that? Why? Because he's my child. I don't expect him to do that. And on top of that, I'm not going to punish him for not being able to do that. Guys, I need you to understand, some of you are in situations right now where you think God is punishing you. You think God is literally against you right now because of something you've done. God is not punishing you. And here's why. God already punished Jesus for your sins. He doesn't need to punish you. God already punished Jesus for your sins. It would be wrong of him to punish Jesus and punish you. That's not what's happening. But the problem is is if we see God as some sort of master, as some person that owns us, what do we do? We fear him. And this is a big problem because the person we are supposed to be closest to is the person that we fear. See, this all started back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, perfect life, no fear, nothing wrong. What happens? Satan comes into the garden. He tempts Adam and Eve. They decide to eat the apple, The next day when Jesus comes down to talk to them, which is what normally happens. Next day when Jesus came down to seek them out, because here's the deal, God's always looking for you. That next day, what were they doing? They were hiding. As if you could hide from God. That'd be like the worst game ever. You like hide, I see you. And literally, what does God do? He goes, he's looking for them. Why? Because they're fearful. They're hiding. Where did that fear come from? It came from sin. It didn't come from God. It wasn't there before. In fact, in God's original creation, there was not fear, but it was the sin in their lives that caused them to fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, this says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. God doesn't want us to feel fear. He says, we have not been given that spirit. And sometimes, I know this sounds crazy, but sometimes it is a spirit. Sometimes it's spiritual warfare. Sometimes you have someone that is on the opposite team speaking lies into your ears, speaking lies into your heart. There's times, and some of you know this, there's times where out of nowhere, you're just filled with anxiety and you don't know why. See that's not from God. That's not from him. That's from the enemy. See, Satan wants fear to run your life. God wants faith to. God wants you to believe that. Thank you. First John 4:18 says this says such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid it is for fear of punishment and this shows we have not fully experienced his perfect love. What does that say? It's like if we ever fear punishment from God, it's only because we haven't fully understood how much he loves us. So if you're in a place right now where you're fearing punishment, if you're like, man, if this ever happens or you think it's happening right now, it's only because you don't understand the, God, the love God has for you. In fact, it says this, what? If you understood that love, it would expel that fear. And the only way the love of God can cast out that fear is if we get close to him. If we, if we allow him to, if we allow him to love us the way that we can the only way he can heal us is if we allow him to do that. Guys, hear this. Hear this. If you ever want to rise to the calling God has for your life or for your family, you must heal from the pain of your past. If you ever want your family to be what you want it to be, if you ever want your life to be what you want it to be, you must heal from that pain. Because Guys, even if it starts off good, even if you think you understand God, it's amazing how issues from our past, hurts from our past can continue through. I mean, just look at the story of David. David was a guy that was called a man after God's own heart. But I think David started off with daddy issues. See, Saul was the king at the time. God said, Saul's doing a bad job. We need to anoint somebody else. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. He's the priest at the time. And he goes, hey, Bring all your boys forward. I want I believe the person that God wants to be king is here. Jesse brings his seven boys at that time in front of Samuel, but doesn't bring David. He goes, These are the seven I believe that can be king. David's not one of them. Samuel looks at all seven boys, goes, He's not here. Are you sure you don't have another boy? And Jesse goes, Well, there is another one. His name is David, but you don't want him. Brings David in. Samuel says, You're the one that's gonna be king. Amazing moment in David's life, but at the same time, I can't imagine the tragedy of realizing your dad didn't think you were good enough. Your dad didn't think you could make it. On top of that, they say they're probably the reason that he didn't bring him forward is maybe he was a bastard son, which means, you know, maybe there was a different dad. Maybe they brought him on. Whatever it was, there was a point where he felt the father pain of rejection. David grows up. He actually becomes close with Saul. Saul actually loves him because he's incredibly talented. David marries Saul's daughter he becomes a part of the family everything's going good all of a sudden Saul gets jealous of how great David is he turns around and tries to murder him so all of a sudden the dad figure in his life he's like finally I have a family finally I have this dad to go to and he tried to murder me first dad rejected me second one tried to murder me I don't know how you grow up normal in that situation What happens? He becomes king. He has kids. He has issues with his boundaries. He ends up having sex with another man's wife. He has a kid through it. He has that man killed. He has some kids. And out of those kids, there's all kinds of issues. You get to two two kids named Amnon and Tamar. Amnon and Tamar were half brother, half sister. And they developed some sort of relationship to the point where Amnon ends up raping Tamar, David's daughter. Tamar leaves in disgust. She leaves under this this guise of, I have just gone through something horrible. Absalom, his other son, brings Tamar in and cares for her and loves her. And the entire time he's looking to his dad going, what are you gonna do? And for two years, David did nothing. For two years after his daughter was raped, David did nothing, said nothing, didn't bring the family together just sat in a state of silence. Absalom's so angry, after two years, he goes out and he kills Amnon, his own brother. David still says nothing. Absalom runs away. For three years, he is gone. David doesn't send help. David doesn't send word. David doesn't do anything. He's just hoping the problem goes away. It wasn't until uh, basically uh, Joab, who is the head of the army, tricks Absalom into coming home. He tricks him into coming home, and Absalom gets home. He's like, what's going on? Is my dad finally going to talk to him? No, David doesn't talk to him. Joab gets so ticked off. What does he do? He goes out, and he burns Joab. Absalom goes out, and he burns Joab's field. He's like, Dad, pay attention to me. And so he becomes reckless. Does that sound like anybody's life? He's like, come on, pay attention to me. I don't understand what's going on. I'm hurting. I'm in pain, and you don't even see me. Finally, David meets with Absalom, but it's way too late. In fact, Absalom at that point decides, I'm gonna turn the entire kingdom against you. And he does to the point where David must run away for his own life. So because of David's daddy issues and his inability to father the right way, his own son drives him away. What's crazy is you get to the point where David, even on his deathbed, his last words to his son Solomon, as we know who takes over is, hey, if you wanna be king, you've gotta kill your brother. That sounds extreme, but I bet if we took a census in this room, we could find generational dad issues. We could find generational sins. We could see moments where people have felt, well, my dad's supposed to be there. Who am I supposed to go to? And the truth is, the reason your dad may not have been there is because his dad wasn't there, and his dad wasn't there, and it happened over and over again. And let me just say this. Everyone in this room has pain. Some of it was caused by your dad. Some of it was caused by your family. The problem is this, is many of us have pain, but we refuse to deal with it. And here's the problem. When When we deal with pain without God, we tend to deal with it the wrong way. We medicate it, right? Have you ever seen somebody who is alcoholic, who's an alcoholic or somebody that's on drugs? It's never that that's the problem, right? There's always something underneath. There's always a reason for it. I mean, there's a reason why we turn to is a reason why we turn to food, why we turn to different things to mask our pain. Some of you in here have incredible pain, except yours looks a little bit different and more okay by society. See, you motivate your pain. Here's the idea. You get busy and never stop because you're so afraid if you stop, you'll have to deal with it. So you are constantly busy. You are constantly doing something. You will never sit still. You will never allow a moment of silence, and you will never get in the presence of God because you know exactly what he wants to bring up. And so we run through life. Everybody's like, man, it's so amazing. You have this incredible drive for life, and all you know is you're driving so hard because you're so afraid what will happen if you stop. And then some of us, we meditate on it, meaning this, we focus on it constantly. We allow bitterness to grow more and more. All we do is we rehearse over and over again what's happened in our past. And we focus on that and it defines every point of our life. See, the problem is when we take God out of the equation, nothing good happens. We don't heal. We've gotta look to God for that. So how do we face our pain? How do we, what do we do with our pain? And here's the first idea. You must face your pain. This is the hardest part. You have to actually face it. You have to call it out. You have to say, this is my pain. This happened. I'm admitting that this happened right now. See, greatness in God's kingdom has less to do with what you do and more to do with the scars that you've allowed God to redeem. You will find you have more purpose, more calling when you decide to take what you've been hurt by and allow God to use it for something. See, what did David do? Did he redeem those scars? Absolutely not. He passed it on and he passed it on and it went to Solomon. And Solomon, what did he do? He had 800 wives and like 900 concubines and broke up the entire kingdom because he had no idea what it meant to be a dad. He had no idea what it meant to be a leader. He saw his dad do it in the worst way possible and he didn't know what he should do. See, when we face our pain, we are choosing to end our pain in our family. Guys, I I want you to understand, you have the ability to be the end. You have the ability to look at your family and realize it can end with me. Some of you have heard this story before, but my wife Chrissy has gone through many things. Uh, She grew up and she was molested as a child by both sexes. She was raped as a teenager. On top of that, uh, she had a bunch of dads. Uh, Her mom is on her fifth marriage. And she decided this not right away, but she decided it's gonna end with me. And I thank God that she decided to end it before we had kids. I thank God that she decided to end it before we moved forward with our family because here's the deal, it was a ticking time bomb. It was just waiting to explode. It was just waiting to take over. It was just waiting to infect somebody else in our family. So you have the ability tonight, you have the ability today to decide this will no longer happen. You have the ability today to decide it will no longer be a awful father. I will no longer pick the wrong men like my mom has done. I will no longer choose what's less and I will allow God to do something more. Yeah. See, we must face it, and here's a the, here's the, here's the tough one. And I'm gonna go through this and you're like, whoa, whoa, you gotta spend more time on it, but I think we, we don't need to. We must forgive it. And we have a problem with forgiveness because we think for some reason it takes power away from us. Here's what is actually true and what forgiveness means in your life. It means that part of my life will no longer have power over me. It will no longer reign over me. It will no longer tell me what I'm going to do and infect my decisions every single day because until you let your past die, you will never live. Until you allow to let that go. And here's, here's the truth. For forgiveness doesn't make them right. It makes you free. It makes you free. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this can be done in one sitting. Many of you, you need to forgive daily because it's going to rehearse over and over in your brain. But until you decide to forgive it, you can't heal from it. You can't heal from it. And then the last idea is this, is we must follow Jesus away from it, away from it. God does not want you to sit in the middle of it. See, this is the reason why last week I talked about why many of you need to take a year off. Because what do we do? We go through pain, we have struggle, the breakup happens, what do we do? We circle back around into that same relationship again. Pain never gets better, in fact, it multiplies. It becomes worse. See, the problem with our relationships, when we don't heal the pain, sooner or later the Band-Aid always comes off. It always shows up again again. See, God wants to lead you into something else, something better, something actually healthy. And some of you have never been even in a healthy situation. You don't even know what that looks like. But God wants to bring that to you. What is he gonna lead you into? One, he's gonna lead you into community. He's gonna surround you with good people. He wants you to have others around you. He wants to lead you into a time with him. He wants to lead you into healthy habits. He wants to lead you into a new life. He wants so much more for you. And he wants to lead you hopefully into a healthy marriage where you get to break the chains that have been with your family for so long and do something different. You have that choice tonight. You have that choice to start there now. So but let me say this, some of you in the room, you're like, well, where does that start? That starts with God. That starts with Jesus. That starts with what he did. And we have to remember that. See, God saw us. He's like, hey, um, you're all sinning. He didn't go, hey, you need to get everything right first. He didn't say, hey, once you get it together, then I'm going to help you guys out. No, he sent his son Jesus down on the cross for our sins. Jesus lived that perfect life. Like I said, he dealt with our pain. He dealt with our sins. He dealt with our past so that God doesn't put it back on us. And if we believe that, If we get forgiveness, God's like, I'm gonna spend eternity with you. You're gonna have heaven, which is incredible, but I'm also gonna come down here and spend time with you on this earth and help heal your heart and help you heal others. So let me just say this. Today, if you're somebody that wants to start that relationship, that's something new to you, I'm gonna ask this. If everyone could bow their heads right now. If you wanna start the most important relationship in your life today, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud that I would like for you to say silently in your seat. God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I messed up. Please forgive me. I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose three days later. Today, I'm putting my life in your hands. Today, I'm allowing you to heal my heart. Today, I'm deciding to live in freedom. God, thank you for loving me first. God, thank you for seeking me out. God, thank you for already telling me who I am. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.